Well, good morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us on site and those who are joining us online again this morning. Welcome to West Meadows. Glad to have you with us. This is our series, Pastor 401, where we answer your questions about life, faith, Jesus, theology, and sorts of stuff. Whatever comes up. Yeah. And we've got a bunch of questions to tackle this week. Um, and so if you still have questions and you want to continue to ask them, if you're joining us here in person, there's a QR code on the pew in front of you. You can scan that and actually submit questions. We have a laptop here, and we'll try to answer them as we go. Yeah, one came in, we'll try and uh, already. Yep. I think we'll try and fit. There's a spot like, coming up. Yep. I think that might fit, so we'll see. Yeah. And if you're joining us uh, online, just type your questions in the chat there. We have that here too, and we'll try to listen as we go. Yeah. It should be good. Uh, we're going to try and cover a lot of questions today because last week we had a smaller number because we dealt with the bigger one, talking in depth about communion. Uh, thank you so much for all of your feedback. Uh, I had a lot of positive feedback on helping people understand sort of the deeper, sacred nature of communion. Um, so this week we're going to focus on more questions. Uh, and then we're going to do this one more time next week. And then as you just heard, we have an opportunity to celebrate uh, Andrew and Athena the week after that. And then we're back to our regular format. We're all starting a new sermon series that I'm really looking forward to, but more on that in the day then. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Um, so we have more than enough questions for today. Yeah. Right. Well, we have a lot of questions. We've got, I think, about 40 questions in the, on my list. Wow. Not for today. <laughs> um, so if we don't get to a question that you submitted, but you really, really need an answer, um, you can just let us know who you are, first of all, and maybe what your question was, and we can try to address it. Um, just come ask, right? Talk, yeah, to come ask Talk to the church office. We'll push you in the direction. Yeah, and if you see, your, your questions come to us anonymously as well. So some of them we want to respond to afterwards, either a phone call or an email, but we don't know who to respond to. So if you really, really want an answer to your question, there's a chance we're not getting to it because we have quite a few questions. But if you put your name on there, uh, I'll do my best to the next week or two here to respond to all the questions that, that do come in. So keep that in mind. Okay. Well, this being Mother's Day, uh, we thought we would start with a question about moms. So, uh, so Zach, here, here's our first question. I'm going to ask you this. Uh, I know your mom pretty well. Uh, she's a wonderful lady. I think I know her better. And I was going to say, that's actually, we're tracking, because you know her better uh, than I do. And I know there's some wonderful things about your mom, but you probably know even more wonderful things. So, I have to ask you. What do you celebrate most about your mom today? Most about my mom. I'm going to get some big brownie points here. Yes. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. My mom. <laughs> my mom is the most godly woman that I know. Mm. Um, my, my mom? What's that? No. <laughs> she's the most godly woman that I know, and she's always there for me if I need some wise counsel or some yeah. um, good advice. For sure. Very true. Absolutely true. How about you? How about me? Um... Yeah, uh, lots of things. My mom is a wonderful, godly woman as well. I appreciate how she prays for me. And she prays for many people too. If you ask my mom to pray for something, she says she's going to. She, she will have to do that. Um, but one thing I really love about my mom as well, especially lately on my mind, is, is just her uh, perpetual optimism. Uh, even those last few months going through my dad's cancer treatments, mm -hmm. she's, uh, she's just had wonderful optimism throughout it all and great faith. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. So There's so many things we could say about our moms, and I'm sure all of you uh, have some thoughts as well. Encourage you to share those with your mom today if, if you are able. Because uh, moms, thank you for all that you do. Uh, we celebrate you. Thank you for all that you desire for us to become. Uh, and we love you for that. Mm -hmm. And if you want an opportunity to participate with your mom in something, or say thank you, or you want to share something on social media, we have a photo booth out yeah. in the foyer. And Pastor Mark and I actually tested it out earlier yeah. just to see how well. it would go. <laughs> so 
It's a bit small for it's us. It's a little small. But, <laughs> so, yeah, it's there. It's yep. there to be used. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to our first question. Um, and as a follow-up to last week, we actually had a lot of questions come in around this um, spiritual realm and uh, ghosts and how they negatively affect us. So the question is, what should I do if I think I'm being affected by a spirit? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, we received a lot of questions around this topic. Uh, now, uh, I'm trying to kind of condense a bunch of the questions because they're, they're bigger than we can cover in this particular format. Um, and I actually recently researched and prepped a whole sermon series on spiritual warfare. So you might look forward to that coming up at some point in the next year here. Uh, but for today, because of the number of questions we received where people are curious or maybe concerned about this, I thought I'd at least share some quick first steps if you think that is something that you are concerned about or experiencing. Uh, if you think that you are being affected by a spirit, number one, j- just whatever situation is going on, number one, press into the Word of God and press into prayer. That's the first thing you need to do in that particular moment and press into that. Because when we press into the Word of God and we press into prayer, that is where we will find truth for any lies that exist in our life. That is where we will find light for anything dark that is happening within our life. And this is a, a bit of what James is talking about in James 4-7 when he said, submit yourself to the Lord. And when we submit ourselves to the Lord, we are, we are pressing into God's Word. And we're pressing towards Him, resisting the devil, and then He will flee from you. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So you want to be pressing into God. We can do that through the word of God, through prayer. Also, talk to somebody. Do not stay in the shadows or stay quiet and personally try to handle this. Come talk to somebody. Uh, come talk to myself. And we can help you understand what's happening. Now, if you talk to me or you've talked to somebody else, it's important that you find somebody who can help you address this in a holistic manner, though. Okay, And that's very, very key. When I say holistically, I mean somebody who understands and appreciates that we are made up of body, mind, and spirit. Because there could be a lot going on within a person's life. And in some of these deliverance ministries and some of these sorts of organizations who immediately jump into the spiritual actually can do abuse and more harm than good. I, for example, I, there's one gentleman that I, I worked with who... Uh, um, who is hearing voices, and they're telling him to do some pretty negative, pretty, pretty bad things. And so he went to one of these deliverance ministry places, and they told him that you have demons. And so they gave a name to what was happening. As, as I was working with him, it came out that he actually had schizophrenia. And their naming his voices as demons actually did further injury to him. They actually, they actually fed his illness that he had. And so there can be more going on than, than just the spiritual. Now, even if it is an issue, you know, body or, or mentally, Step one, still, word of God and prayer still has incredible power in those realms as well. So that's why step one is, is the word of God and prayer. But then talk to some godly people who can help uh, and understand and approach it from a holistic perspective. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's good. Those are, so we went press into prayer right away and then, uh, yeah, talk to some people mm-hmm. that are available. For yeah. Sure. All right. Um, another follow-up question from mm-hmm. last week. Uh, again, kind of about this uh, um, spiritual realm. We talked about visions and dreams and um, one of the questions that came up was, well, how do we actually understand whether or not we've received a message from right. God? Yep. Um, and sometimes there's a potential for people to misuse that. Yes. Right. So how do we discern that? Yeah. Uh, we talked last week about visions and dreams, and this is a good follow-up question to that. So let's talk about just people in general who, who say things like this, say that I have a message or I have a vision from God. How do we discern that? Well, the first thing you always want, it doesn't matter who it is, if somebody comes to you and says they have a message from God, the first thing you always want to do is proceed with caution, especially when they start off by saying, God told me to tell you, because that 
could go a few different directions. That statement in itself is worthy of discernment even before we hear the actual messages. Um, And so we need to always start with some caution as to what's happening. Maybe it is true. It could be true. But that statement requires some discernment. Now, in the Bible, we're told to approach such things with discernment. uh, Because not all visions and not all messages are true. Uh, 1 John 4.1 tells us this. It says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have come into the world. Many people have come into the world. Many false prophets. Those who come into the world... And we'll, we'll leverage comments like, God told me to tell you, um, and try to bring their influence in the name of God instead of God's influence in God's name. So how do you discern this? Well, the very first place to look, again, is to the Word of God. That is the ultimate truth in our lives. Any message you think you may be receiving or any message that somebody shares with you will always agree with the Word of God. If it ever in any fashion contradicts what you see in Scripture, it's not true. Because God's word is authoritative and perfect. So it has to be in agreement with the word of God. And I've I've had people come talk to me about this in the past, and they say they're receiving messages, and and the voices, the message or whatnot is is harsh, and it seems to lead them into things that they're not comfortable with and and, and seems to be lying to them. That's not God. That's either just your own psyche, or there could be something else that's going on. But if it's lying and contradicting the word of God, it's, it's not from him. And secondly, rather than declaring the message, I'd encourage you to discuss the message with people. If you actually received a word or a message from God for another person, don't just declare it to them. Come to them and discuss it with them. And if you're able to confirm that it agrees with the word of God, and if you're then able to test it with godly people, and it's found to be true, then declare it. But then you've declared it in unison with another person, not just you trying to kind of powerfully speak into their life. If it is a true word of God, that person will be open to receiving it. And there's a good chance that God is doing something within them, too, that that will match. And you can actually discuss it, not having to just declare it powerfully into them to try and convince them of that. Now, this also isn't just for people in general. I know there are situations where leaders will do this, and they will misuse this, as you kind of prefaced in the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually a form of spiritual manipulation, that unfortunately takes place within some churches, and we see it taking place on an international stage with some, some um, well-known leaders as well. And, and sometimes on a local level, it'll happen where a leader will say to somebody, you know, God told me that you have to sing on the worship team, or, or God told me you have to lead this ministry. And, and again, we, we, you know, we can process that and discuss it, but if the person is just trying to say, no, you have to do it because God says, that can, that can be manipulative, at best, and abusive at worst, because they're, they're imposing their own will with the authority of God, which is, which is not the way it's intended to be used. And it can even get dangerous to the point of abuse, where I, I hear stories on different levels of, of Christian leaders who say things like, well, God has given me permission to do this, you know, to do this thing that deviates from his will. Or, or, or God, God you know, knows the burden of ministry that I carry, and so he understands when, you know, when, when I fall short, and, and, and sometimes they try to pull people into their, into their uh, tactics and stuff as well. Anyways, when I hear stuff like this, I have to control like this righteous anger that builds up within me, because, because I, I'm quite honestly, I'm utterly ashamed to share the title pastor with people who do, who do things like that. Um, so how can you know with a leader? Because we want to be able to trust our leaders. So how can we know if a leader actually has heard and received a word or a message from us? 
because uh, they're in a position where that you know, could be taking place. Well, we can start with the same things we just heard a moment ago. Start with the word of God. Whatever they receive, just because they might have a different level of authority in the church doesn't mean that they're above the authority of the word of God. Their message will agree with God's word as well. It will not con- contradict either. But also, they should be remaining humble in the process of sharing this. If they've received a message from God and are sharing it to you, they, they will understand their role simply as a messenger. They won't hold any personal claim to that where they'd be offended if you ask them questions. And so they should remain humble and be open to scrutiny and discussion with others. And that's where this third thing comes in. So, so agree with the word of God, um, open to discussion. And then thirdly, this, this idea of character. They should maintain a character of humility. There should be a sense of character of care that even if they're delivering a hard word, it should still be done with care for the person and, and with a sense of integrity. And, and in that sense of integrity, we also can see something that's tied to this, which is the motivation. Is, is there a personal gain? Is there a sort of a personal motivation in what they're saying? Or is the motivation the kingdom of God that's being served through this? So agree with the word of God, discussion, character, motivation when we look at our leaders. Uh, and finally, if those boxes are all ticked, man, and the message is found true, the last thing is rejoice, yeah. <laughs> celebrate and praise God for his continued revelation to us in that. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I know uh, one of the common ones where people, God told me, yeah. um, sometimes in relationships, oh, right? yeah. God told me that I need to go on a date with you. Or, yeah, right? yeah, God told me, God told me to give you, yeah, you should give me your number. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Does that ever work for you? Nope, has no? not worked for me. No? no. Okay. Thank goodness. Right. But, Is that like yeah. a testimony? What's that? It's a bit of a testimony, a confession. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. I confess. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, but that leads us to our next point. Actually, we've received a number of questions about relationships. Yeah. Um, and so this question is, I want to be married and have a family, but I'm single. Am I mm-hmm. being punished by God? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard this a number of times mm-hmm. over the last number of years. Um, and this is one that we don't talk about in church a whole lot, uh, adult singleness. It doesn't come up a lot. And, but I do hear from, from single adults who, who will say to me, you know, most of the life groups are geared towards people who are married. Uh, a lot of our connect events, it's hard to go to because it's kind of a one, you know, it's me plus one, I don't have a plus one yep. to bring with me. Um, sermon illustrations tend to have to do with family and marriage, and, and they're all kind of geared towards couples. And, it, and it's true, if you, if you have eyes to see it, quite a lot of what we do in the church is geared towards those who are married. And, and so I think this is something, even if we're married, and this is a question that doesn't directly relate to you, I think we can all do better in the church of, of seeing those who are adult singles and understanding that we need to be able to relate to them and to make sure that they don't feel, you know, kind of second-class citizens somehow, which I don't think is our intention, but sometimes we unintentionally do things in a way that can make them feel that way. Um, Now, there are those in our congregation, in our community around us, who aren't married. There there are kind of exceptions to the common rule that people tend to get married and have families. And there's a few reasons this happens. Um, probably the least likely, but it, it does happen. There are those who just don't desire to get married. That's, that's not something that exists within them, a desire within them, or something that God has called them to. Um, I don't think it's, it's overly common, but it is perfectly natural if that is where a person's at. There's also those who have been impacted by past experiences, whether they've gone through a divorce themselves or, or their parents went through a, a difficult divorce, or they've been widowed, things like this, where they just choose not to, to marry or remarry after those moments. Uh, But then there's also those who are single, but don't want to be single. They're looking for Mr. and Mrs. Wright, but they haven't found them right now. So um, 
you know, if you are single now or for your whole life, it's not a curse. It, it, it's not a punishment by any means. Uh, and you may, you may or may not know this, but uh, Paul was single. Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament, was single. Uh, happily single. <laughs> he was so happily single, he even speaks of this as a gift. It speaks of singleness as a gift. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, where, where Paul says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift. That is from God. And now in the context of this passage, he's speaking about relationships. He's speaking about marriage and how he's single. Many people are married, but he's single. And he's speaking about these different gifts we get from God. There's the gift of marriage, and there's also the gift of singleness. And he says here that, I wish you all as I were. He's single. And then he continues, now to the unmarried, the widows, I say, it is good, not necessary, but it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So Paul says it's actually a gift. Right? Yeah. It's a gift. It's a, he actually encourages us at times to be single. Yeah. That's okay. But perhaps for the person that asked this question, they're thinking, I don't think it's actually a gift. No. No. The way that this question we received is worded, I don't think this person would see it as a gift. Right. right? Uh, but there is a lesson in here for us to understand as to why this is seen as a gift. Now, if you don't want to be single, um, you're not going to feel like this is a gift <laughs> right now while you're in your single time. Uh, but there's a lesson here for us. You see, marriage is great. And if that's what God has called you to, to pursue, that's great. But it also comes with its own set of stresses and challenges and areas of concern that you don't experience in the time of being single. And marriage is not God's call for everyone. There are some people who are his call upon their life. They actually need the freedom of being single to fulfill that. And, for example, we see this in Paul. Paul, Part of the reason that Paul says this is a gift is because he was able to do his ministry as broadly, as for as long, and as effectively, in part because he was single. Uh, think of all the traveling that he did and the persecution and being in prison. Like, think about what Paul's life went through. Not ideal for a family guy to go through <laughs> that. You know, I, I know a, a young adult... I met a number of years ago at a, at a different church, and her desire, her, she felt like God's calling upon her life was to travel the world teaching English. And she does. And she tours the world making friends all over the place. She's amazing to follow on Facebook. You see all these pictures and places and things that she does. And, and she is completely content and happy and fulfilled, but she couldn't do that if she was married. There's a degree of, of freedom mm-hmm. to match the calling that she felt placed upon her, her life. Um, it'd be hard to do that with if she had family. Now, even those who have a desire to marry in the future, there's still a lesson and a giftedness in this particular season. Because right now, while you're single, anticipating a day when you get married, this present moment is actually a gift to the future you. Here's what I mean by that. Between now and whenever you fulfill whatever and whoever God has planned for you, your job is to seek God faithfully now. To seek him faithfully now so that you can grow into the healthy, complete person before you add somebody to your life. Does that make sense? The gift of this particular season, as as lacking as it may feel at times, is not without purpose. And the purpose is to be the healthy, complete person you can be now before you add somebody. Another way to phrase that is this. You have this moment right now so that you can be the complete person that the person you're looking for is looking for. 
that make sense? Mm -hmm. Grow to become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And then when you meet, you're actually in a healthy, stable place to build a foundation for your future together when that takes place. Now, in the Bible, yeah, it seems very clear that most people are called and the primary direction most people go, God's plan, is to become married. But people who are single are not second-class citizens within the church. It does not mean there's something wrong with them by any means. There is a gift of marriage, and that's something that many are called to with its own set of stresses and problems. And there's also the gift of singleness, which is equally valid, and I think we could even argue is a higher calling in a person's life. Mm -hmm. So for the people on maybe the flip side that are mm -hmm. looking for that uh, place of marriage and yep. they're wanting to look for that person who they're looking for, that they're looking for, that whole phrase, yep. um, do you think it's okay for Christians to use dating apps? Right. Yeah, we get asked this a fair bit. Yeah, we get asked this a fair bit. Dating apps. Those weren't around when, when I was dating and looking for a life partner. Uh, for many of us that are here, we've never used one. We've heard about them, but never used one. They weren't around when we were in that kind of courtship season. That's not how Nadine and I met. Nadine and I met the old-fashioned way, right? We had some friends that introduced us. I saw her and was interested. I expressed my interest. She said no, and I like a challenge. And I like a challenge. So, the rest is history. That's right. 27 years. There you go. Later. Yeah. So how about you, Zach? I, I used online dating. You did? So, you used an app. I okay. used an app. Success story? Success. Is it? Yeah. Maybe mute. Is it Julie? Is it success? Yes. Yeah. Thumbs up. Okay. okay. That was close. All right. Good. Yeah. Let's move on from that. Let's move <laughs> okay. on. Okay. We'll move on from that. Sorry to draw her into this. Yeah. yeah. So, which app did I use? Yeah. I'll tell you later. Okay. Yeah. I know some no. you didn't use. There are, well, there are some good dating apps, and then yeah. there are some You should answer not. this question. Oh, oh, I could. Yeah. I use Bumble, for Bumble. if you want to know. I don't know. Is that a good one? Kayleen, my uh, daughter's single. Is that a good one? Oh, Kayleen? my gosh. What is happening I told right her now? it was going to come up at some point. Oh, boy. So my daughter has been gifted with singleness. But she would like to have a family. So um, she's a, uh, she works with, uh, with deaf kids. And uh, in a special needs school, uh, 28 years old, she has, a, uh, she has a condo on the top level, 18th floor of an apartment building. Wonderful young lady who would love to have a husband and some children one day. But I promised her I wouldn't embarrass her today. <laughs> so we should move I, well, on. Well, I promised her I wouldn't make her stand up. Okay, okay. Do you, want to, do you want to stand up? No. Okay. All right. Yeah, she says you Moving owe on. her lunch now. I always buy her lunch. Okay. <laughs> okay, back to, back to the question. Moving on. So Moving you, on. you, you use on. Bumble. Yeah. Okay. Our dating apps, okay. Um, so here's what I've learned. For about the last 16 years, Nadine and I have been doing marriage prep with a lot of couples. We're up, I think um, there's another three couples we're working with this season, and I think we're up about 90 couples we work with wow. over the years. Uh, so we have a fair bit of experience in the way people have met and, and what works, what doesn't work. And a growing number, not surprisingly, because this is becoming very common, a growing number have met on dating apps over the years. Uh, and of all the couples that we've counseled and prepped, really the most stable ones um, and the most compatible ones actually met online. We've seen, you know, we've seen really good success with people who have met online. And I don't think it's anything more than uh, there's just really one really important common factor is that when you meet somebody online initially, um, you tend to do a lot of talking. 
and you get to know each other to start with, and you actually build a friendship as the basis of which the relationship begins to kind of grow out of. And so you build this friendship with a person before you ever meet them. And why is that important? Because if you like somebody, as soon as you meet them in person, you are going to, there's a high likelihood there's going to be added on some form of physical relationship gets drawn into the mix. And that completely complicates everything. It complicates the, you know, the feelings and the thoughts when you add this physical relationship of any, of any form onto a relationship. But a lot of people who meet online, they tend to build a relationship of friendship just by dialoguing and talking first um, before they, they add any other complicating factors onto that. And so when physical and intimate dynamics are added too soon, that actually can become the foundation of the relationship. And that is a very rocky foundation upon which to build a life together. That's why some of these dating apps, and there are some inappropriate dating apps that simply exist for the purpose of, of hooking up. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's the purpose of these dating apps, rarely, rarely do you ever find anything there turning into something meaningful long-term. Why? Because the whole foundation of the relationship from those types of apps is based upon things like lust and self-gratification. And, and that's not a foundation to build a marriage upon. And they don't end up doing that. But long-term, mutual, other-centered, loving relationships tend to grow out of friendship. And so you start with friendship. And so, you know, in summary to all this, and joking aside, I, I think dating apps actually can be great when both parties use them for the right reason. When, when both parties use them for the right reason of trying to find a lifelong partner in a healthy, appropriate manner. You know, regardless of how you met, whether it was online, your friends first, or online, and then uh, through a dating app, if, if you are friends first, and that becomes the foundation, then you can add and build on top of that. And you know, then after a solid friendship has been established, you can add upon it an appropriate you know, physical relationship. Because even the best dating apps, eventually you want to meet in person. Mm-hmm. And so then you can add other things on top of that from there. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, in um, Julie and I's relationship, we were talking online for a while, and we got mm-hmm. to know each other. And, you know, um, what do you enjoy to do for fun? You go to the gym. Yep. We learned about what uh, churches we go to. And we found out, actually, we went to different churches, of course, at the time. Um, and so this actually leads us to our next question. And um, mm-hmm. Julie and I were going to churches of different denominations. So the question was, is there a significant difference between I a question, churches? Sorry. I don't want to interrupt you. I think we had sure. a question come in. Oh, oh, I don't see we? any here. Yeah, there is that one about dating and marriage. There's this question. Um, no, Jesus did not have a wife. So that was a quick one. That's a record answer. Yep. That was the fastest uh, one on record. Let's see if we can find the other one here. Uh, no, he did not. Um, those who claim that he did will also have all, all other sorts of statements about Jesus that would require a few things. One, they require us to go beyond the scriptural authority of the authority of scripture they'd also require us to believe a whole bunch of other things about jesus in terms of him not actually dying but uh kind of a swoon theory that he recovered after the crucifixion and then traveled all over the place you'd have to include those sorts of things as well in order for him to end up married so um yeah so quick answer no but uh no because on the authority of scripture it didn't happen but also you'd have to include a whole bunch of other things about jesus that are difficult to justify and ultimately would remove him from being the Messiah, which is another whole problem. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. Um, should all dating be done with the end goal of marriage in mind? That's a great question. Um, now, we have to understand right from the beginning that just statistically, 
not all dating will end in marriage. I, I think there's good stats to prove that, <laughs> that not all dating will end in marriage. Um, and this is where there's, there's two factors to think about. And I don't want to tell families how to look after, you know, to, to raise their youth. We'll leave it for our youth pastors sometimes to talk about when is too early to date and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even what does that term date mean at right. the younger ages? Because clearly if you're like in grade 11 and, and you're probably not thinking marriage, right? Um, so we have to be able to define what does the word date mean at that point, um, which is beyond what we can get into today for probably for the sake of time. But... Yeah, when you're in that season of, of when you possibly could, um, uh, could be thinking about marriage, that, that is, and I don't want to be, I don't be um, absolute in this, because people can have companionship with proper healthy boundaries, and it can look like dating, but, but in the true sense of dating where, yes, we are, we are kind of building this life together, like that's the trajectory, we're not just, you know, friendship, companionship, but we're actually intentionally building a life together, there should, be a, there should be a plan that that eventually moves to a commitment, like to a promise. That, that should be the trajectory that it, that it heads towards. If that's not your motivation for dating, um, redefine what that term means. Like maybe you're not actually dating. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a friendship companionship thing, but then there have to be appropriate boundaries around that as well as to what, uh, as to what that is and what that isn't. Yeah, and as another term, you could say there enters a phase when you are courting someone. Courting. Right, a courtship. Yeah, yeah. getting more, more serious. Yeah. yeah. Getting exactly. more serious. So, so the, defining the word date and what is the purpose and intention of it, ultimately in the true sense of it, yeah, we want to mm-hmm. date somebody, eventually marry them. Right. Um, but there can be other forms of relationships that exist, but based upon how you define date, then we'll define the boundaries that need to exist around that relationship. So, yeah. Yeah. Any other ones before you move on? Yeah, one, one quick one here. Mm-hmm. How do people deal with a breakup in the church? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I could tell stories. <laughs> well, I'll tell one. There, there was one couple who had been in the church, not in this church, different church that I was familiar with, involved with. Um, they had been married for 30 years and gone to the church for 35 years. Like, they met in the church, they dated, they got married there, they, and then their marriage dissolved. But neither of them was willing to leave the church. Um, and it just got really complicated. It, it, I'll save you all the details to get to the punchline. It reached the point where one agreed to sit in the balcony, one agreed to sit on the main level, one agreed to come down the balcony a certain staircase, and one agreed to exit the building through a different door. So <laughs> it was super complicated. Yeah. Yeah, it was difficult, but we were trying to just keep the peace. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that can be a real-life thing that becomes very, very difficult. Um, so back to the nature of the question, how do you deal with it? Yeah. Um, you know, this is where some of that, you know, godly character of, of, of grace, of boundaries, um, you know, knowing that there's implications of every decision we make when a relationship breaks up, there's negative implications of it. And sometimes the negative implications mean um, I don't have all the freedom that I used to have. I, I can't, um, you know, for, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the other people, for the friends, yeah, it gets messy and we have to... You have to make concessions here and there. Um, it, it's tricky. Um, it really takes counseling. Mm-hmm. Quite often, a person will leave. That's just usually what happens is one person, if not both people, leave the church. That's more often than not what happens. Yeah. They go find different churches. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's so tricky if they both stay in the church. Yeah. 
and in the context of the church, I suppose it's important that we seek out that community yeah. and wise counsel, as you mentioned. Yeah, you need counseling through that, you know, or count, count, wise counsel, yep. whether it is counseling or just somebody to help guide through those relationship issues. Yeah. It gets messy. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, let's jump to our last question. Last one. Let's do the last one here. Okay. Um, so the last question, as I kind of briefly alluded to earlier, um, Julie and I were going to different churches, and so this plays into the whole idea of denominations, and there's different denominations. Mm-hmm. So is there significant differences between different denominations? Right. So there are differences. Yeah, but sometimes we're not always clear what the differences between denominations are. Um, and it kind of reminds me when I was back in seminary, one of the assignments we had, Now, I was in the class I was in, um, there were people from, obviously, the Baptist seminary, so there were, there were people from Baptist background, Alliance, uh, Pentecostal, Anglican, Independent, and Lutheran. So quite a mix of people who were, who were attending these seminary classes. And we had this assignment where each person needed to go to their church website or go to their, their church leadership, print out a copy of their statement of faith, and bring their statement of faith back to class and share that statement of faith with everybody so that we could see what the differences were between these denominations. And it was actually amazing. A lot of people's eyes were opened to the fact that within, within these different denominations, the core tenets of, of belief, the, the core tenets of theology were exactly the same except often one or two. And the one or two that didn't agree where they differed, it wasn't that we disagreed upon theology, and when we heard what the statement was, it wasn't like we're like, no, that's, that's a lie. Uh, we just simply said, oh, it's interesting that you emphasize that amongst these other things. Like, for example, I was, uh, when we did this assignment, I was uh, part of the Baptist General Conference, which is a different conference than we're part of, but uh, Baptist General Conference, and so I brought our statement of faith, and it included a statement on angels, and it included a statement on the ordinances of the church. Now, the NAB conference we're a part of does have a statement on angels, but it doesn't have a statement on ordinances. And likewise, other people who were in the class with me as well. Now, when they read, when they heard what we said about angels, when they heard what we said and believed about ordinances, nobody disagreed with us. They were just surprised that we would emphasize that enough to actually include it in our statement of faith. And so this was really interesting because it came down to a matter of what people emphasize more than actually what we, uh, you know, there's so much more that we agree upon. Mm -hmm. And then there's some differences in what we emphasize. Yeah. So for some of the other denominations, can you give us some examples of what others emphasize? Right. So like, for example, uh, often what distinguishes a denomination is not core tenets of theology. It's actually not that common to find core tenets of theology that can divide within these groups. Uh, it's not matters of conduct that divide. It really is what they choose to emphasize. Now, for example, um, Baptists, there's about 400 million Baptists in the world. These can be evangelical, they can be fellowship, they can be fundamental, they can be, they can be liberal. It's all different types. You know, say the word Baptist, you got to mean, well, what do you mean? There's all mm-hmm. sorts of things that Baptists can mean. Um, and the name essentially for all of them comes from this uh, core belief that only believers should be baptized. And so it's a statement on baptism, you know, believer's baptism, which was essential to that. Um, but a lot of the other core points of theology we're probably all familiar with because we're in a Baptist church. Uh, now, Pentecostals, for example, with 280 million uh, Pentecostals exist. And they began about the early 1900s. Uh, and Pentecostal actually is the fastest growing denomination in the world, mm. uh, especially in South America. It is like wildfire going throughout South America. They have tons of mission work taking place. Uh, and they really emphasize uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. 
they're quite often known for enthusiastic worship, uh, beliefs in signs and giftings that still continue today. Uh, and then there's another one that I came across, uh, Alliance, Missionary Alliance, about six million missionary alliance in the world, uh, and their emphasis upon fulfilling the Great Commission through the local church around the world. And, and there's a core focus here upon not only uh, doing Christian life, but being, the being aspects of Christian life as well. I, I mentioned these three because uh, those are three out of the six denominations that I personally have attended in my life. Um, I've gone to a lot of different types of churches. Um, because they share the same core theology, there's just a bit of a difference in the emphasis that exists. And so, uh, since we have this topic coming up, I thought I'd also share just a brief comment in, in kind of a, in closing here about cooperation between these between these uh, denominations. And this is a term that we use, here's your million dollar term for the day, ecumenicalism. Okay. Ecumenicalism. Ecumenicalism. Yeah. So that's a term that refers to cooperation amongst churches, amongst denominations. And there are some people who are outright just opposed to ecumenicalism. Uh, when I was, uh, one time I wanted to hold a marriage seminar in, in a church I worked at. Um, it was a, like a video one from, you know, it was being live streamed from the States. And I thought, hey, that'd be great. I want to I sign up our church for that. And they said no to me because other churches in the area were already doing it. They didn't want to oversaturate kind of the, the city with this. So they gave me the list of three other churches in our area that were hosting it. And so I called those three churches and I said, hey, I, I think this is a great seminar. We're not going to host it because you all already are. I don't want to compete with you. You've got it. Can I sell tickets to your event and send my people to your event? And there was one church who, who said, no, you're Baptist. Like that was the exact word I got. Like we will not cooperate with anybody but our own, which was shocking to me. There's a second church who wouldn't even call me back. Um, but the third church, and I'll mention, I won't mention the first two are, but the third church, which was um, uh, Millwood's Pentecostal, uh, Hope City now, yep. um, they were like, absolutely, that would be wonderful to have you come and you know, feel free to you know, have your people join us. And they gave me all the information, and, and so we did some cross-promotion, and we worked together to send our people to this great conference, which in my mind just made sense. Like, yep. like why, why can't we cooperate? Why, why do we have to compete all the time? Why can't we be cooperating on these things? Uh, but there are people... Um, in different faiths, even people within the, with the Baptist tradition who, who do not support cooperation amongst different churches. And they're, quite often it comes from an overemphasis on those things that divide as opposed to those things that actually we hold in common. And, and some, some faiths do believe that they have like the one exclusive claim to the interpretation of the gospel. And anything that does not completely perfectly align with every single little iota of that that it is, you know, it cannot be acknowledged or partnered with. Um, but as I already mentioned, more often than not, that's not the case. Like there are some churches and some faiths that have a completely heretical theology, mm -hmm. and so you definitely want to be careful in those situations. But that's not often the case. Uh, quite often, it's not a matter of difference of theology. It's a matter of what each church chooses to emphasize out of that. Um, and I think this cooperation between churches actually. Is, is, is what Jesus was praying for, because not so much churches, but, but amongst believers, right. is what Jesus was praying for. Um, because all these churches will hold a belief in one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that Jesus Christ is, is the only way to the Father. And when we hold together on that foundation, I think the world more clearly sees Jesus when Christians are unified yeah. than when we're divided. 
In Jesus' final prayer for his disciples in John 17, he said that his prayer was that all of them may be one. And, and he's not just talking about the 12 people in the room with him at this time, that all of them may be one. And I, I really believe that he was thinking, you know, as, as the church spreads, he's about to pass the mantle to these disciples who are going to go into all the world, different cultures and regions and places and traditions. They're about to take the gospel there, and there will be a core foundation upon which all these churches stand, and that that core foundation will be the unifying thing. We see this coming up in the, uh, um, uh, Colossians and uh, Paul's writings as well, where he talks about one God and one faith and one baptism. And and, and just one unifying factor. So he says in verse 17, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are one, I am in you and you and in me, uh, that they may also, uh, that also the world may believe that you have sent me through their oneness. Um, and I'll just, I'll, I'll end with this because we're over time already. Um, I heard a testimony of a, of a non-Christian person this week who, who said, you know, Christians of all different traditions, names, he said, from my perspective, y'all look the same. Y'all got churches, Y'all got Bibles, y'all pray, y'all tell me Jesus Christ is the only way. Y'all claim that Jesus died and was rose and that I need him as my Lord and Savior. What in the world are you fighting about? <laughs> was, was the outsider perspective kind of looking in. And he goes, and whatever you're fighting about, I'm not interested in that. Mm. But what he was interested in was about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. He was interested in the Bible. He was interested in these sorts of things, but not what the fighting was about. So, uh, all that to say, there are limits to cooperation because there are some absolutely heretical groups that we wouldn't want to associate ourselves with um, that just don't hold the same core beliefs. And we want to be discerning in those cases. Uh, but even then, there is no place for hate. And, and this is the, probably the final thing I want to say on this. Um, I do talk to people at times who, who will speak of another denomination, uh, of people of another faith, and there is hatred in their comments. And, and completely just, you know, wiping off the possibility they could even have ever heard the truth about Jesus Christ. And yeah, there are some churches where there's a, more, there's a greater chance of hearing a true profession of the gospel than other places. That, that's a fact. There are places where there will be a, a more complete, um, scripturally justified declaration of the gospel than other places. That's true. But here's what we have to keep in mind. Our job is to share the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ in this time that we have here with all people that we meet to journey with them, to understand that where they are in their journey may not be where they end up on their journey, that we can meet them where they are and walk with them as we too come to understand a deeper understanding of the gospel and help them understand a deeper level of the gospel. You can't do that from a position of hate. You can't do it from a position of division. We have to press in towards each other and not be afraid of that. And when we stand before Christ at the end of our days, he's not going to ask us for our membership cards. <laughs> the question we have to answer is, who is Jesus? And there are some churches who will give a clearer answer than that than others. But the answer we have to get to is, who is Jesus? Not our membership cards. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, with that, can you pray for us? Just as yeah. we go today? Yeah. 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 Thanks for allowing me to go long. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come together on this, um, this wonderful day, celebrating moms, we again thank you for the gift that they are. We thank you for their presence here in our church as well, and just how much beauty and life and energy and activity they bring among us and they bring for you, Lord. God, we thank you for that.
For the topics we've discussed today, Lord, we talk a lot about relationships. Uh, Lord, our ultimate relationship that we need to have, that we need to uh, foster and grow, is our relationship with you. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to find those times in the word, those, those times of prayer, that we could grow deeper into our knowledge and our walk with you, Lord. But I also pray that those who you bring around us, whether they be people from different backgrounds, faiths, and traditions, that we would see ourselves as the ambassadors of the relationship that we have fostered with you. That we could go forth as citizens of your kingdom to proclaim the grace, truth, and love of Jesus. That we would not be seeking to solidify divides, but that we'd be seeking to bridge divides. That we would all come to understand a deeper understanding of, of the gospel, of grace, of truth, and of love, from which you have so beautifully exemplified and revealed through your life, but in our lives as well. So we now go into this world, Lord, acknowledging your power, your presence, and your mission that you've handed to us, that we are to invite others to experience new life with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.